the song that we've just enjoyed. Uh, we do pray for courage in this season, this wonderful season you've given us that is pregnant with the possibility of freedom and joy of a kind that we all long for deep inside. We were intended for, but that so often gets covered over. And so would you, uh, by the power of your spirit, move mightily in our midst over these next five weeks? Would you have your way with us? Would you guide us to the scriptures and the truths that are most powerful and helpful to us? Would you surround us with community that will love on us and, and be your hands and feet and speak words of grace and mercy and truth into our lives? Would you give us the courage to be vulnerable about what causes us shame? Would you release this community as you make us free individually and collectively to be your body in this place? A place that oftentimes would cause us to feel shame for what we believe. But Lord, your power and your might is so great so much greater, and your goodness and your love is so wonderful and so precious. And we want to be the kind of people that radiate all of that to the world around us for the sake of your glory, so that as the name of Jesus is lifted up, people will be drawn to him and find that kind of freedom and healing and joy and grace that you alone can bring. So God, we submit ourselves to you today, and we ask that you would meet us in this time that we have. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So there are a number of promptings that lead us to this series that we're entitling Free From Shame, and Several of them, let me kind of review uh, how we got here. Uh, we're always praying about the series and, and what we're studying and praying for the community and kind of what is God doing in our midst? What doors is the Lord, are the, is the Lord opening to, 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 to us to pass through where we might have a kind of a growth moment that we didn't expect uh, as he works in, in our lives so we're always praying. Uh, it's common for us to take a break like we're, we're going to do right now is we study through a book. We're in the book of Acts. For those of you who are visiting, we're studying through the book of Acts. We've been since, uh, I don't know, September, October. And uh, so we've been really hitting it hard and learning some great things. But this is a moment for us to take a break as we're approaching Easter and think through uh, maybe a new topic, a fresh topic. So uh, as we were in the book of Acts looking at the story of, I don't know if those of you who are here, you remember the story of um, the Ethiopian eunuch, and that was a story that was kind of surrounded in the idea of shame. And we, as a creative team, I'm so thankful for this creative team that we have for the preparation of the sermons. We've got Pastor Dante and, and uh, Jackie sits in on this, and Miguel sits in on it, and Martin and Ryan, our pastoral intern, and we have this hour each week to kind of wrestle through. And there was a particularly dynamic conversation around the concept of shame and the way that we experience shame as we were uh, looking at the Ethiopian eunuch uh, early on in our study of the book of Acts. And so we, we sort of tucked that away. And then, of course, Jackie, as you hear, is very keen on the topic of shame. 
And so she's been sort of agitating and advocating for us to study this. And, and then I would just say, honestly, too, and this is going to be a series where we're going to have to kind of be transparent um, uh, about ourselves. Uh, as we were talking, I started to think maybe in a little bit of a new way about my own journey with shame, which is not something I've really reflected on that much. And some of the things that cause me to experience shame, uh, things deeper even the fact that I'm losing my hair, right? <laughs> That's definitely one of them. Um, the baptism pictures from last week, I could not believe from behind <laughs> how much skin is showing on the top of my head. I, I reach back and I feel hair. And in the pictures, it looks completely bald. That's just not fair. Um, shame. Anyway, uh, so this journey has come about as we have five weeks. And so I'm going to, as Jackie did, encourage you to really uh, approach this with a kind of openness and humility, a sense of expectation about what God might do in this next season. Uh, maybe some willingness to kind of go through some hard moments of being honest with yourself and being honest with God and being honest with the people around you. Hopefully the people in your home group, your friends in this community who love you and are going to love you even when they find out who you really are, right? That's part of the whole journey and the process that we're going to be on. I'm going to encourage all of us to make sure that we're extending the kind of grace towards one another that God extends towards us. We can so easily be condemning or overwhelming in our response to people's brokenness and hurt, and we need to be very careful that we don't go down that path because that shuts down the process of healing so often. So let's launch into this series together by starting uh, at a, with a look at what God's intention is and was and still is for us around the subject of shame. And, and what I want to say today is that God intended us for freedom. Would you open up to the book of Genesis chapter 1? And if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll pass one to you. Uh, We'd love for you to be able to um, follow along in the text that we're going to be looking at. So just raise your hand. Don't be shy about that. You can take this Bible home with you if you you want. If you need a Bible, please feel free to take us home. It's going to be on page one, starting right at the beginning. Page one in that Bible that we hand out. uh, Genesis 2, we're going to be looking at together this morning. And a little bit of Genesis 3 as well. Okay, so um, here we are in Genesis 2 and uh, Genesis 3. We're going to be starting in chapter 4. Now, um, every time I go back to the book of Genesis, uh, especially chapters 1 through 3, I just have to say I marvel at how robust this narrative is. I mean, it, it, it's like built on this hefty infrastructure, and you can come to this text, and I want to encourage you to do this, with all kinds of questions, and it can handle it. I'm so surprised at how it can handle all of our questions. So last time I saw in my notes, just the notes that I have in my Bible here, last time I was really working through, I was working through the concept, the subject of faith and work, and some interesting insights in Genesis about that. Uh, and today we're going to kind of tackle the book with uh, a question about shame. Uh, and so it's, it's just a wonderful narrative. I'm just, I marvel at it. And the way I read uh, Genesis 1 and 2 is, is sort of telescopic. So Genesis 1 is the cosmic picture of creation um, in its sort of its vastness. And then we telescope in in chapter 2. And the story is sort of retold but with a special focus on uh, the creation of human beings and the nest that God creates 
to place them in. So it's sort of a telescope from the, the, the larger picture into the more focused one. And that's where we're going to be today is in that more zoomed in kind of picture of the creation of humanity. Um, chapter 2, uh, let's start in verse 4. Uh, it says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And then he goes, uh, goes on to talk about the nest that God is creating to place the man and the woman in, in the Garden of Eden with, the, with the, the, the vegetation and then the rivers. And then skip down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So interesting, they get separated and then, and then join back together. In verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So get this, the very last word of the perfected state of humanity in the Garden of Eden is that they were not ashamed. And that's true in the Hebrew as well, which is a more malleable language. So when you put it at the end in Hebrew, it's even clearer that you're trying to say something in particular. So the last word is that they were unashamed. Now let's think about shame for a second. It's helpful to distinguish between uh, guilt and shame, which both of which appear uh, in this narrative as we're going to see Coming up. Now, guilt traditionally we talk about is what you do, and shame is associated with who you are. So that's a really helpful way I find to distinguish the two. Guilt is associated with what you do, and shame is associated with who you are. And last week we talked about, uh, if you were here, we talked about the being and doing elements of life. Um, and if you want to think of it in that light, then guilt is connected to the doing side, and shame is connected to the being side. So shame cuts really deep because it, it sort of makes a statement about who you are fundamentally, whereas guilt is more associated with what you do. And the two, of course, are very connected, like a train that has an engine and a car and a caboose. They follow one after the other. So the guilt comes with the shame, right? Once we do something that we weren't made to do, that God didn't design us to do, which we call sin, when we do that, then the consequence is that we experience shame, whether we even acknowledge it or not. And it's immediate. 
You'll see that uh, when Adam and Eve fall, the shame comes in. Even before the consequences that come for their sin, the shame just comes flooding in. So they are very intertwined and very connected. But it's also possible to experience shame from things that we can't control. So there's shame from what we do, but then there's shame that comes from things that we can't control. Um, So like losing your hair. Sorry. Uh, The the, um, definition that I want to give us is what um, Ed Welch writes in this book, Shame Interrupted. Um, Let me just put this up for you. Shame is the deep sense that you are, that's the being, right? That word are has to do with your being, that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you. So it it can be your sin that leads to shame, but it could be somebody else's sin against you that leads to shame, or it can be something associated with you. So baldness, sorry, (laughs) just keeps coming up. Um, But I'm not insecure. This is healing for me. I really appreciate your guys' ability to walk with me on this journey. Um, It's good to keep it light because shame is really heavy. Uh, And and so, you know, know, there's these little things that are funny, and that's funny. But it's also true of these deep things that I hope we're going to get at over this series. So anyway, Eden presents us with a different picture than what we just saw in that definition, right? Um, The the people are exposed but honored in the Garden of Eden. They're not exposed and humiliated or uh, ashamed. So the ending of that that definition is you feel exposed and you feel humiliated. That's what Ed, Ed Welch says. Well, here in Eden, we have people exposed and honored, celebrated, unafraid. That's what it says. They're exposed, everything about them is known, and it's okay. It's cool. That's freedom. And that's the Garden of Eden. That's what we were intended for. We're intended for freedom. To have everything about you on display with no compulsion to hide. Yeah, it's about the nakedness and all that, but that's just a symbolic of all all of it, right? It's, it's all of it, who you are. It's all on display, and there's no compulsion to hide. And I, I want to believe that we have all tasted that kind of freedom in one way or another, even in a small little way. Uh, in fact, I would love to hear. So if you have the communication card in your bulletin there, and you have a pen, or you want to grab one on the, box, on the table afterwards and put it in the box, I'd love to hear what are the ways in, in which you have experienced those moments those Garden of Eden kind of moments where you were free from shame. I'd love to get a list, compile a list of those moments. I was thinking about um, different ways that, uh, that we've experienced this. So you, you know this, we, you, we've all kind of seen like the naked toddler, right? Who's dancing and running around and just happy as can be. And there's just, there's just no shame, you know, on the beach, you know, bathing suit comes off, and, and there's the little baby just happy, just running around, prancing around. Somehow that captures for me the, the, the concept, the image that it would have been uh, in the Garden of Eden, and that, that ultimately we're intended for, is that kind of freedom. Another theme that keeps coming up in, in my life and in our conversation is dancing. Um, 
So when I was in Rwanda, uh, whenever we would worship, it was so powerful because worship always included dancing. I mean, that, they were inseparable. And so as soon as the music started, everybody got up and everybody started dancing. And, you know, when you grow up like junior high in the United States, dances, right? Like dancing is all about you. And so you're doing your moves and you're looking to make sure people are looking at you and you want to get credit for, you know, your ability to dance. And there's this like social dynamic that is very much... Uh, around uh, affirmation and, and sort of me and all that stuff. Well, guess what? In Rwanda, I was so surprised because I, you know, was dancing and I'd be looking around like, you know, for feedback. You know? <laughs> guess what? Nobody cared at all. Nobody cared. They weren't, they just weren't thinking about how you dance and whether you dance well or not. It was just this freedom of worship. And it was so beautiful. And it really took me like a while to get used to. Be, but it was, it, was, it was that moment. So this is one of the experiences. Another thing that when the, our kids were little, um, we used to have Friday night dances in our living room. And so, you know, Michael Jackson or whatever would, would turn on. And, uh, and we would just start dancing and it was crazy, like it was just freedom, and, and it, all six of us, you know, just letting it rip, just dancing, cutting, the, cutting up the rug, and the music would be blasting, and it was so joyful. I, I'll never forget those times, right? And then the kids become teenagers, and, and then I turn on the music, and they're not dancing anymore, and I'm like, you ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, didn't you? <laughs> Because you're not dancing anymore. <laughs> so we have these moments of freedom that we've tasted. And that's what, that's what we're intended for. That's what the Garden of Eden was like. Unashamed is what we're meant for. It's what you were meant for. It's what you were meant for. You were meant for this. But then, you know, the rest of the story goes on, uh, and this is our story too. Adam and Eve are beset uh, by shame. They are overcome by shame. So let's look at how that happens. Ultimately, they do something for which they are guilty. So they do, okay, focusing on the doing thing. They do something for which they're guilty, and then they are ashamed of it. They're, they are ashamed. So they do something for which they're guilty, and then they experience shame. And you can see how relational shame is in this, in this context because they want to cover themselves up from each other and then they want to hide from God. They don't want God to see them. So shame is a very relational kind of a thing. And so that just shows us too that in this coming season, if we're going to break through some of the shame elements, it's going to happen in relationship and you just simply can't get away from that. And I know you want to. Because you want to deal with your shame in your closet all by yourself. And it doesn't really work that way. Um, it's going to have to be part of the community with God first and foremost, and then with the people of God. Um, so anyway, that's getting ahead of the story. So how does this happen? What do they do um, that causes them to experience shame? To cover, to try to cover themselves 
and then to hide from God. Look in, in chapter 3, verse 3, verse 1, first of all. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say? And then it goes through this whole process of, of the temptation. And then in verse 6, skip down to verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? This is the, this is the question that, that deals. This is what we're asking ourselves and each other, right, over this next season. Where are you? This is what God's asking. Where are you? Okay. Anyway, um, so God says, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then it goes on to the consequences of their having done something. Now, again, it's interesting because the consequences come, but the shame comes even before the consequences come, right? So shame comes flooding in immediately, but then the consequence comes uh, afterwards. So that's the dynamic of shame. It, it just follows right on the heels. And so they try to cover themselves uh, and they try to hide and that's our story as well. So their story is really our story. And so we're living this out, you know, repeatedly. This story is on repeat. Every human being who's come into existence experiences the living out of this story as a result of them first having experienced it and then as a result of our own sin and the sin that's done against us and all of that. Um, we're, we've got this story on repeat. And it, it, it manifests itself in many different ways. I mean, we don't put fig leaves on, but we have our own kind of fig leaves, right, that we try to cover ourselves with. And we have our own, you know, trees that we hide amongst, just like they were hiding amongst the trees. And so their story is our story. And, and I've, I've sort of tried to think through with the help of the creative team on, on some of these things, but we would also love um, your input on this. How is it? What are the, what are the voices of shame that run in our head? That cause, us to, that, that, that cause us to try to cover ourselves and to hide, to cover from one another, to hide from God, to hide from one another. At root of it, we experience that we're unacceptable in some way. That's what Adam and Eve were experiencing. And so then we say things like, like this, and, and this is just a starter list. Um, I hope to get your input on this too. But we say things, you know, to ourselves, like, and we don't even know we're saying it. Just they start, it, this this voice comes in our head, and, and what it's trying to do is it's trying to beat back the pain of shame. So we say, like, well, if I work really hard 
they won't figure out who I really am. So this is where the urge to sometimes boast comes from. You know, oh, did you know that I did this and I did that? Or, you know, we, we're, usually more, we're usually more sophisticated than that, right? We slip it in in ways so that people will, will, will be acceptable to them. And, and, and this is where workaholism comes in, right? And, I, and I, I would think that in the, I feel like that in the Bay Area, this is a very significant issue. A lot of us come to the Bay Area, moved here because a job was bringing heat here. So already your work is really wrapped up in who you are. You just moved across the country to come to the Bay Area because of your job or because of your education. You know, so this is a big part of who you are. And so you know, it, it gets wrapped up in this whole process of work and, and shame and covering over our shame, making ourselves acceptable by being proficient in what we do. So there's a whole minefield there of shame. Um, and I think, well, I'm not going to go on long. We'll, we'll talk more about some of these things. But uh, there can be kind of a sad version of this in the church setting, too, where, you know, people are uh, maybe caught up in some sort of addiction or perpetual sin, and part of the way that we want to cover that over is to get really involved serving, right? Because we, we want people to, to see that we're okay, we want to be okay, right? And, and, and that's, that's not to say we shouldn't serve, and, and we're always going to be a mess, right? So it's not like we're going to get this untangled, but, but there, this plays itself out in our community in, in painful ways at times. So if I work really hard, then they won't figure out who I really am. Um, if I let so-and-so get close to me, then they're going to find out who I really am. And so then this leads to um, the inclination uh, to sabotage, in its worst form, sabotage relationships. Because I want, we don't want anybody to get close to us. So as soon as it starts to happen, like we're good as long as it's superficial, but as soon as it starts to happen that we're getting close, then... We're going to sabotage the relationship because we don't, we don't want anybody to get near that because we're afraid if they do, then we're going to be rejected. So we hide in that way or we, we cover in that way. Um, we shift responsibility. Well, if so-and-so wouldn't have done this to me and such and such, you know, and this is sort of the using anger to cover over our shame. We, we sort of turn what we're experiencing back on others and put the blame on others. And, and it's a way of covering um, and so anger can be like a fig leaf to try and, and cover. Um, and then, you know, this one thought goes through our head. Did I really do anything wrong anyway? So the, the pain of shame becomes sort of searing, and we can't get away from it. So we, start, so we start to question, well, maybe I'm feeling shame for something I did, but maybe that thing isn't really wrong, actually. In fact, you know, is anything really wrong and right? Is that a thing, really? Or is that just some construct that religious people are putting on me, right? And that's when you see people start to question their faith because they're, they can't overcome the shame. And so they try to undermine the sense of guilt by rejecting all that, that God says about what's right and wrong in the, in the world. So Tim Keller says, you know, when a college student comes up to me and says, I'm starting to question my faith, his first, first question is, who are you sleeping with? Right? Because he's just seen so often that that's the source 
I feel shame over what I'm doing, so I'm going to put it in this other category and sort of question, you know, whether there is such a thing as, as right and wrong. Um, I'm going to keep going, huh? Uh, here, how about this one? Thought goes through our head. Well, if I just have a few beers, um, maybe watch a little porn, then the shame that I'm experiencing will go away for a while. I'll, I'll, numb, I'll numb myself for it. And this is how the addiction comes in, right? Because then the, the, the beers wear off, you know, and so then you start to feel the shame again. But now addiction has its own shame cycle associated with it. Now, now I feel like damaged goods because I did that. So now I feel shame about the original thing and then the way I tried to deal with it. So I feel double shame. And um, now I've just wrecked everything. I'm a wreck and I'm worthless anyway. So I might as well just numb myself some more. That's the shame addiction cycle. And then it starts to get entrenched in who we are and, and can become more and more difficult to break. Uh, so since I'm such a wreck, um, this is another voice. I'll just keep to myself. I'm going to go silent. I'm going to go to my room. This is hiding, our version of hiding. And this is how people start isolating from others and from God. Um, the time with God stops being possible, you know, whether it's your morning prayer time or devotions, because you can't, you don't want to go there because going there means facing the shame, and, and you haven't encountered the grace of God deep enough and wide enough and profound enough yet that you're too fearful of being in that place because you feel like there might not be any hope for you. And so then you stop meeting with God. So this is the shame process, and, 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 and all these ways that we try to cover and hide to deal with the pain of shame, when they don't work, which they never do, then we become depressed. And stuck, right? Everybody feel good now? <laughs> so the question is, is there hope for our shame? Is there hope for my shame? Is there hope for your shame? And to discover that, come back next week. No, just kidding. <laughs> Um, we're going we're gonna to lean into it a little bit. Um, chapter 3, verse 20. Genesis 3, verse 20. Was there hope for the shame of Adam and Eve? Is there hope for the shame of us? The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life. So there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There's a tree of life, which gives eternal life. If you're fallen and you eat of the tree of life, you have an eternal fallenness. So lest he reach out and eat that fruit also and live forever, Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the east, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, 
he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So it's hopeful in that God protect, the first hopeful instance here, God protected them from an eternal fallenness by sending them out of the garden. So it's actually a good thing that God sent them out of the garden because you'd have an eternal fallenness. So he's, he's holding the door open to some sort of redemption being possible by removing them from the garden. So that's hopeful. And then perhaps even more hopeful is that God covers them, right? Because that was their impulse. And you're going to see this all throughout um, probably our, our series here. There's a deep connection between shame and, and clothing. The, the metaphor of clothing is, is deeply connected to the concept of shame. So we'll see that. We see that here in this text right in Genesis. But uh, now they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. Like, who wants to go out in a fig leaf, right? Not adequate for me. Uh, I mean, I don't want to be seen out there with that. Uh, and so uh, who, who wants to go out with that? Well, they can't cover themselves. It's not sufficient. They can't hide enough. And so God comes along and he covers them in skins. And he clothes them so that they will be sufficiently covered. Now, a couple things about this. This covering of them required the first sacrifice of an animal that we have recorded in the Scripture. So we're starting a vector here. There had to be a sacrifice to cover Adam and Eve. And then that vector is going to go through the Old Testament and there's going to be animal sacrifices, again, to deal with the guilt of the people of Israel. And then that is not going to prove to be sufficient. And so we're going to draw the vector all the way to the New Testament where Jesus Christ becomes the perfect sacrifice for sin. To take care of guilt once for all so that we can then be fully clothed and unashamed. And that's the ending of the story. So that if we look in Revelation 21, 1 and 2, we'll put that up there right now. We read it already. Jim read it for us, but I want to read it again. Then, this is the picture of heaven, the very end of the Bible, the picture of heaven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth, first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, which you need to hear as the people of God, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned. That means clothed for her husband, who is Jesus Christ. Okay? So the shame is completely covered over. And this radiant bride, the people of God, is, uh, is presented to Christ, the husband of the people of God. And the shame has been washed away. There's no more crying anymore, it goes on to say. And God is with his people in freedom, restoration of the Garden of Eden. So that is getting ahead of our story a little bit. This is what we're going to lean into over this next season together, these next five, four more weeks that we have together. There is hope for shame. 
And that picture of the heavenly realm, you know, is bleeding into today. That's what the kingdom of God is, right? The kingdom of heaven is bleeding into today. And so we have this expectation and this hope that God can meet us in our shame to bring healing and to bring new life. So I want to ask you as we step out on this journey to take courage and to ask yourself this question, what am I ashamed of? What am I ashamed of? And to be really ruthlessly honest about the answer to that question. Because the more honest you are about the answer to that question, the more you're going to open yourself up to the healing work of God through Jesus Christ. And that's what we're hoping and praying for over these next weeks together. If you can identify an area or some areas in your life where you experience shame and, and Boy, it was, it's, so, it's so funny to me how I could go so long without identifying that the thing working on me that's causing me to leak out emotionally in all different kinds of ways is shame. I'm guessing that's probably true for many of us, right? So let's be courageous and, and, and open the door to that closet over these next weeks and see what God might do to bring healing of our shame. So it's going to take courage, and that's what I'm inviting you to as an application point this morning, to take courage, to invite you to embrace this journey with courage and with hope and with prayer and with expectation. And we want to be available to pray with you. We're going to be available today during communion time but then we want to be available during our prayer lab this Wednesday night or really at any other time. Some of these breakthroughs can only happen when we really submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. So I want to invite you into that. Uh, and if, if, if any of us in community can help you, your home group leader, you know, pastors, whatever, we want to, we want to, we want to pray for you in that. So, so let's be courageous. And with that, then, I want to open the table, and what we're going to do today, because we're in the round, uh, which is so fitting for talking about shame, in a sense, because we're looking at each other. We really get the communal relational dynamic of this. We're going to come down this aisle and this aisle to come to the table, and then you'll go out these two side aisles, okay? And you're going to take the bread, you're going to dip it in the cup. And this is Jesus dealing with the guilt, the sin thing that leads to shame, Okay? That's done. Jesus has done it. God has done it in Jesus Christ. So we have hope as we embark on this journey. So as you're coming down the aisle, you know, just have that ruthless honesty with God. Lord, I'm coming to the table. I feel shame about X or Y or Z. Would you, I'm a little afraid right now, but would you maybe work on this in my life over this next season? And bring freedom. Lord, would you meet us at this table? Thank you. We pause to confess sin before we come to this table because it's right and appropriate to honor what you've done in Jesus Christ. And we meet at this table in community knowing we need each other and knowing we desperately need you. And so we submit ourselves to you this morning. We invite you to meet us.
as we come to the table. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.